Father, thank you so much for, for this wonderful family. And uh, as we get to share a meal together, and our children are, are being loved on, and our teenagers are being loved on. And Father, we are being loved on by you. There is so much that we can learn from this letter that was written so long ago that people that have many of the same things going on in their lives that we do, we could learn from this. So, Father, I, I pray that you would lead all of this and that we would see where you're at work and we would make adjustments so that we can continue to make it better for your glory, not ours, but for you. And all things that point towards you, we rejoice in that. And Father, uh, as always, I humbly ask uh, that you would use me, that I would not speak in error. We would just learn this together. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay. So, uh, Tim and I had uh, talked uh, a while back, and we wanted to... I had some folks asking me to go through the book of Hebrews, and uh, where it speaks of Christ as being a better sacrifice and to help us understand what's going on in the Old Testament. And I was prepared to go there. I had a few of you request that. And, uh, and Tim and I were talking about what we're trying to do with understanding the culture and how we live in the culture that we are. Uh, we settled on 1 Corinthians. I am going to go through this as at the pace that the Lord leads, okay? And as I'm getting the feedback from you. And so I don't have an agenda to finish 1 Corinthians before December the 11th will be our last uh, time. We have 15 Sundays. There are 16 chapters. Some of the chapters will break up differently. But if I don't finish 1 Corinthians, I will pick back up where I left off in January, and then we'll go into 2 Corinthians. Some of you may remember a couple, three years ago I went through Romans. I went through 1 through 13, and some of you were asking, well, where's 14, 15, and 16? But we moved on. So what we don't finish, come December the 11th, we'll pick right back up where uh, we left off in January. So we will have uh, a study for a period of time. It's my intention to be around 45 to 50 minutes of not near as in-depth as we've done in the past, but more applicable in our lives. So I'll point some things out, and then uh, I know the first night it's going to be a little um, awkward. We're going to break up into some groups. And I've got uh, outlines for the leaders so that we can say, okay, how does this apply into my life when I see, you know, hey, so-and-so is being baptized by this person and this person is following after this person. How do those things work out in our lives? Because whether we know it or not, we sometimes have some human affections or affinities in our life that are not healthy. In other words, we follow after a human a little more than we should. And we need to see the balance of that in Scripture. There is always following Christ and we follow the one who follows Christ. So we, we see how that works out in our life and get to know one another. Just like we do on Sunday morning, if there's somebody that you don't know, please make a point of saying hello and getting to know them. This is how we learn together. And uh, probably next week, as we see how this works, when you walk in here, there is the possibility that we'll already have it broken up in circles. Uh, we just got to Figure out how this is going to work. So please give me some grace when I'm done teaching, okay? Uh, and we break this up into groups. It, I'll do my best. So we come to 1 Corinthians. This is, of course, a, a New Testament book. And new, the, the letter to the church in Corinth, the first of two letters that we will see, uh, 1 Corinthians, it's an ancient picture of what's going on today. Um, you could quite literally, and I'm going to have this elsewhere in the 
in the lesson. This could have been first and second Brenham or first and second Houston or first and second Dallas because what is going on today are some of the exact same things that were happening. Let me give you an example of how naive I was when I grew up in East Texas. Um, I, was a, I graduated from high school in 1984, and my, my grandmother-in-law was a dear, sweet lady. And uh, she was telling me that her best friend, uh, she really loved the mother but not the father. And I said, why is that? She says, well, he had a girlfriend in town. This was back in in the 50s, and I says, uh, great granny, I thought that only started about like 1980. She goes, oh, no. And so, and I was just so naive. And so as we read what's going on here, the same things that you see happening in Corinth are going on today. And we have information available to us that makes us more aware of it, but the same thing's been going on for generations. And so we see how Paul dealt with it. Well, the first thing that we need to come to is we need to figure out where the city is. And, the, and as you'll see there, I've got a couple of pictures there in your handouts. And if you don't have a handout, i got them in the back, uh, and there will always be some available. But the city of Corinth, as you'll see, is, um, I think my thing's on, is right here. And here's the Mediterranean, and you'll see Turkey, you'll see Israel down here, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, uh, and Egypt is down here, and then you've got Greece. You've got all the, the, the Italy and all that. And so between Athens uh, and Sparta, on this little land bridge right here, is where Corinth is. And so in that era, there was a, a lot taking place, but that is where Paul visited. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. There's a lot going on there that we're going to cover. Now, uh, in old days, what they would do is, uh, it's interesting... If you needed a, you were in a vessel and you needed to get from here to here, okay, you can actually get out there. Instead of going around because it was pretty treacherous, what they would do is, is they would put your boat up on rollers and they'd roll it across the land. It's about three miles wide. So, so the sailors are bent out to sea for however many weeks, and then they hit port and they can't do anything while their boat's going across there. So they had two or three days of getting crazy in the community. Okay, just like sailors do today when, when the aircraft carrier goes into port. It is the same thing that's going on. And so in the culture, you had uh, all of that taking place. Well, this is a modern-day map of, of the area of Corinth, and, but you'll see uh, where it was labeled earlier, and they have actually dug a channel through there now where boats can go through there. So that is the area where... Uh, where we're speaking of there in the Mediterranean area. So what's happening in this town before Paul gets there? Well, it is an area of money, commerce, travel, and great outside and internal influence. There was a lot of influence driving the culture. You had the seaport, so there was naturally there was a lot of different languages that would be spoke there, many different visitors from many different places with many different backgrounds, in many different beliefs. It was a hodgepodge of society. And so in Corinth, because of that, there was rampant immorality. It was all over the place. And there was a common phrase there, to live as a Corinthian meant luxury and immorality and revelry and recreation. It covered the gambit of what would take place there in Corinth. So it was known, kind of like Las Vegas is today, or as I shared a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sodom was the original sin city. This is what was taking place there. 
you had multiple gods. And let me, let me clarify. I only have the time to, to get so deep. This is going to be a Reader's Digest uh, of it. I, I can't go that deep. Uh, we want more applicability. So um, I can only share so much in the time we have. But it was a very immoral place. There was multiple gods. And in these, these gods... Uh, you, some of them uh, would be like fertility gods and all kinds of other gods, and they would have these temple prostitutes, both male and female. And so the culture was so bad that if you wanted to connect with the fertility god, what you could do is you could go into the temple and worship, and then if you were a male, you could have a female prostitute to connect with the god goddess of uh fertility, and then if you were a female, then you had a male prostitute that you could have sex with to connect with your God. That is going on in broad daylight, folks. This is not just, this is not, um, uh, what is that place in New Orleans uh, that's so bad? Yeah, the, that area. That's just terrible, okay? That's uh, terrible. And so this is out in the open, okay? And it's right there. And so it is a Roman colony. It was uh, rebuilt by uh, Rome in 64 A. I'm sorry, B.C. And then it, it it rapidly progressed. Now, what was taking place there? What they elevated? And if you understand this, you will see what Paul is saying, even in the first chapter, what the culture was like. There was they loved rhetoric. They loved debate. Or these these orators would get out and speak, and they sounded all lofty. And how you viewed power there is your ability to debate or talk. If you were a winsome speaker, whether it was true or not, you would win the debate. So it was all based on your ability to run your mouth is how you would win people. It, was, it did not have to be anchored in truth. And so Paul is going to address that. And then the, the games there, the... Uh, uh, the Olympic-type games that are there, and they're second only to the Olympics. So in the, every two years, you know, have the, the Winter Olympics, and two years later, the Summer Olympics. That is a very rampant place of the games are great, but what goes on behind the scenes is, is pretty, pretty interesting. And so the same thing was going there. But in this enclave, this little town, you still had some Jews in that area, and there was a, there was a local synagogue that Paul is going to visit. So Paul goes to Corinth in 49 A.D., and you, and you read about some of this in Acts, Acts 18, on his second missionary journey. And so he shows up and he meets uh, uh, Aquila and his wife Priscilla who worked on tents. They were, they were makers of tents. And so Paul is kind of like a missionary today. Let's say like Scott Plackey that Tim is going to go visit. Scott Plackey drills water wells. But in drilling water wells, he, he and his wife lead people to Christ. So this is sort of what Paul was doing. He would get to know the people, and he would share the gospel. So Paul goes there, and the first part of his, his ministry is he's speaking to those who are Jewish and then Gentiles who, who had been saved. But we read about that in the synagogue there, the Jews got enough of him preaching about Christ, and they revolted against him and expelled him from the synagogue. However, uh, however, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, there was a bunch of names in here that I pulled out, and it's not important, believed. So you see, Paul is having an effect on, uh, on what's going on there. And then when after the 
the Jews had expelled him from the, from the synagogue there, the Lord spoke to him in Acts 18, 9 and 10 and says, Do not be afraid. In other words, you're there. I'm paraphrasing this, of course. You're there for a specific purpose, and there's people that you're going to speak to because there's people that are going to accept me uh, due to your preaching. So uh, said, don't be afraid. Do and go what I called you to do. And then we, uh, we uh, is that working? There we go. Might not be working. So now, the second part of Paul's ministry is that uh, in Corinth, he went to the Gentiles. When, when the Lord said to him, don't be afraid, then he's now going to the Gentiles in that area. And uh, to continue to preach in Corinth, and so he's there for about 18 months. We're still not getting into the letter yet. We're getting set up for the letter. Now, as a result of, of Paul's preaching, there's a church that's founded there that we read about later. And finally, after about 18 months, in 51, he leaves that area, and then he goes into the area of Ephesus. So he's, he's, he's out of the city, and then he's hearing about what's going on in the church. And so after he left Corinth, uh, he began writing some letters to the church that he had founded there. Now, we, we do realize that Paul wrote a letter to the church that is not in Holy Scripture. Okay, the apostles did writings that are not in Scripture. They, they didn't only write what is in Scripture because they're communicating with people. And so what is in Scripture is what the Lord hovered over that was to be preserved. And so just because an apostle wrote something, you will hear on the news that the lost writings, well, nobody, it didn't get lost. It wasn't supposed to be in the Bible, okay? So I wouldn't put too much faith in that, um, that's just simply someone looking to poke a hole in Scripture that's not there. And so Paul did write to them. And in that letter, he, did, he was uh, trying to straighten them out concerning some sexual immorality that was going on. And, and as a believer, you were not allowed to uh, associate with immoral believers who refused to repent. For instance, let's say that uh, you have an individual... That is, uh, and I'm not going to name a sin. He's just he or she is in known sin, and they are doing it, and they're whatever it is. Okay, maybe they're going around beating people up in town. Okay, let's just pick that one, because nobody that I know of in this church is doing that. So let me pick that one. <laughs> and so we're saying, hey, you can't be doing that. Why not? Well, you, you, that doesn't reflect Christ. You can't be doing that. Okay, I won't do that anymore. They go out and do it again. Matthew 18 says that you now you take a couple of folks and confront this individual. You can't be doing that. Well, why not? Well, that doesn't reflect Christ. Okay, I won't. And then he does it again. Then you bring him before the church. I'm assuming he here. He refuses to repent. He's to be removed from the church. And so what was happening was this wasn't happening in, in the church. They were allowing the sin to perpetuate without any type of action being done. Now, too often, people want to use what's in Matthew 18 to be a bully. And you've got to give God time to maneuver in things, okay? I know what Scripture says, but we've got to give the Lord time to move. But they weren't doing anything about it. And so, uh, Paul said, if they are bringing this sickness into the church, you have to, it has to be removed. And then, in the long paragraph there, he receives a letter from a lady named Chloe. 
And the household, most likely a church that met in her home, and there was quarreling and all kinds of stuff going on in the church. And then so Paul received the letter asking him to give answers concerning all of these things that we're going to cover. So they specifically asked Paul to to clarify these things. So Jesus spoke to the disciples, the apostles. The apostles then carried it over into... uh, uh, the, the writings of the, of the Gospels and the letters, uh, the epistles and that. And so, uh, so that is how it happened. Paul is answering a question that is being addressed to him. He is clarifying the teachings of Christ concerning the things that are going on in their lives. And so in uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, was written around 55 A.D. from the city of Ephesus. So he's writing it and it is sent to the church in Corinth, the first of two. And so when we, the applicability for us of this, of this first Corinthians, when we look at the culture that I've already shared, okay, it was a, it was a, a multi-ethnic church, okay? Every church should be a multi-ethnic church, okay? It should be because really, if your church refuses to be a brushstroke of what you're going to see in heaven, that, you got some problems there, okay? So it need it needs to be because guess what? If the church doesn't look like your your community, you got problems, okay? And so it it needs to be that. And so there's applicability there. The problems that they were facing are the problems we face in our own culture. We're not immune to them because we've got the internet and iPhones and fancy cars and all that. We still have the same problems because of this. This heart that sometimes won't surrender to the Lord. And so Paul gives them advice on how to handle these problems. And so out of answering these problems, we see practical advice for everyday Christian living then and there and for us today. So these would be what you would refer to as uh, supracultural. What I mean by that is how you live can transfer from culture to culture. Give you an example. Let's say that you're a missionary in a foreign country and the king has multiple wives. Well, just because he's the king and you're in a foreign country doesn't mean that you don't lovingly share the gospel. If the king genuinely repented and genuinely wants to know Christ and genuinely wants to grow in Christ, he has to, we've got to do something there, okay? I'm not saying divorce three and keep one, but we've got to begin changing the culture. So this is super culture in what Paul is telling them. And they're timeless. We have the same problems today. And there's rich guidance in how we deal with those problems. And like I said, 1 Corinthians or 1 Brenham, it doesn't matter. It is the same. So what is a snapshot of some of the things that Paul is addressing? Again, I'm only touching on some of these by the chapter. So you had divisions in chapter 1. I'm going to talk about that when we cover chapter 1 today. Baptism by whoever, and you see the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of mankind. And then Paul, remember when I told you that the culture loved its intellect and its ability to, to debate and impress you with its, its speaking abilities? Well, when Paul is coming in there just speaking simple, common, everyday language, they kind of pushed back at that in the culture because who's this dumb country boy from East Texas, okay? I grew up there. I can say that, okay? So that's how they, they approached Paul and so he is speaking into the wisdom and, and the ability to speak. And then you had an issue of uh, 
uh, sexual immorality in the church. I mean, it was, it was blatant in chapter 5. He addresses that. And then um, the practice of taking fellow believers to court before pagan judges. Paul gets in there and says, with the wisdom of God that the, through, the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we be wiser? Because after all, God's people are going to judge the world. He gets into those things. And so why can't you settle a little dispute within the church instead of immediately get so happy and want to go down there and run him down before the justice of the peace or the judge or wherever, put it in the newspaper, put it on social media and all that other stuff. Why don't we handle the problem inside and not get a whole lot of other people involved in their opinions that don't mean anything? Why don't you settle it here is what Paul's saying. And then there's, there's immorality that is in the church that he addresses. There's the issue of marriage, divorce, and staying single. And let me, let me say something. There have been some questions already. Are we going to cover this, and are we going to cover that, and are we going to cover this? The answer is yes, but we've got to build up to it. For instance, we're going to talk a very small amount about gifts later today. We're going to get into gifts later on in there, but I've got to build up to it. So please, uh, we'll get to those as we come to it. And then whether believers are allowed to eat meat sacrificed to pagan idols. So, you know, you go to, I think it's H-E-B, you can get, what do they call it, Hillel meat or something like that. Uh, that's applicable today. Should you or should you not eat it? Is it okay? And the question of appropriate dress uh, for women who minister publicly. I want to clarify something here. We, we have to be careful of judging what the Word of God is saying looking at it only through the, the, the lenses of 2019. Got to be very careful on that. For instance, um, is, I, is when I do premarital counseling, and uh, we look at what the Old Testament says, and in the covenant of marriage, and it talks about the validity of and using the bed sheet and all that, I tell people to be very careful about imposing your view on things from today Based on what was going on then, you don't understand what was going on then. That was actually a, a very much of a protective measure in that culture. You have to understand that. So let's be careful when we come to these. We just let's understand what was going on. And then there's, uh, there's irreverent and disrespectful behavior in the, dealing with the Lord's Supper. Okay? And then perspectives on spiritual gifts. There's some distortion there. And the practices in the body. And, and love is the greatest of all of these. It costs you nothing to love somebody. Not one thing. Now, you may take it further and, and help them carry a burden out of your love and all that. But just simply to love somebody, to seek their highest good, costs you nothing. It's not going to touch your bank account. And then there's uh, dealing about the future resurrection of the dead. So, before we get into some of the text... There are some, some thoughts we need to understand in that Paul, the church, is not a, just a country club. It's not just the, the club of a, a bunch of motorcycle riders, though you can have a motorcycle ministry. It's, it's much more than that, okay? But it is like-minded. That is why that when you seek to join a church, you should, you should be like-minded and that we're unified around Christ. And we're not going to come to the church arguing, well, should I have the Lord's Supper every Sunday? And should I have it every Wednesday? Oh, and when the women have their Bible study on Tuesday, shouldn't we do the Lord's Supper? That, we don't need to be arguing about that stuff, okay? We do it once a month, and the Lord's quite happy with that, okay? So those are things that we don't need to do. In fact, we're doing it in two weeks, okay? And... Um, 
And so we are relationally bound together by our common submission to Jesus Christ. And then we're called to be a sanctified community in Him. And then to be in Christ is to be part of that community that belongs to Christ and recognizes His Lordship. And, and so that is what the, the church is. Now, where we get into trouble is that we have, we have elevated self or what uh, I preached a sermon a while back and I used... Uh, um, he worked for Nixon. Um, he was he was uh, and he went to prison for Nixon. Charles Colson and he spoke of radical individualism. And so, in America, we have radical individualism. I don't need you telling me what's going on, and I don't need you in my business. And that's radical individualism. And uh, in the culture in which Paul is writing, that was very foreign. People didn't live like that. They were much more reliant upon one another. Today, uh, I can uh, get a report once a month if my car's healthy. I don't have to talk to anybody by gas. Uh, I can have the oil shipped to my house from uh, Amazon. I don't talk to anybody about anything unless I want to go to the doctor, okay, the ER. Then I have to talk to somebody. So, but, so our culture has set up this individualism that the Word of God never intended. And so... Uh, you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is an assumption that you are a part of a local church and you have some activity investment in that local church, okay? That there is some investment from yourself and in your heart there. And then in the Greco-Roman world, uh, this individual independence seems odd. The structure of their society was dependent on each other uh, working with one another, but it went, it was built on that, but it went too far in cases. Um, uh, there could be over loyalty from uh, a client to someone that, that had helped them, either financially or with uh, just helping them out. And so when you help somebody out, there was the expectation that they were going to scratch your back since you scratched their back. And you're going to go around and promote what they do and what kind of a great guy they are. And you're going to promote, you're going to give them some publicity in the community. Now, that worked in some cases to keep society moving from a secular standpoint. But when it comes to the Word of God, it has to be honesty. You can't be working the system, so to speak, in the economy of God. He doesn't like that. He gets later on that everything that's done wrong is going to, God knows about it. Also, Paul continually uses plural pronouns. There is, again, an assumption that you will be part of the community uh, that is uh, a part of Christ. So we, we come to the letter. Now, not every week we'll have this long of an of a introduction. Okay, but uh, Paul is, the, is the, the writer. He was called by the Lord. He was sent out to communicate the message. It is an authoritative message in that God or Christ had set these men apart to take the message that had been entrusted to them, as we read in Jude, and then handed down to the saints to us today. So we are recipients of that message that has been handed down all the way from, from the, the apostles, specifically Paul, because he wrote arguably half of the New Testament. And so they would... Right under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Tim preached on that in Second Peter chapter one, uh, 
and, uh, and then it comes to us. And so they would go out and they would plant churches. Not all the churches that were planted were planted by apostles. There was the multiplication of the ministry. But the authority still rested in the apostles to, to make sure the doctrine was pure and everything was, was uh, set out. Now, if you will, look in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 1 with me. I want to I read that. And so, it says, Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, I'm not going to get into who he is, okay, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified, notice he's writing to believers, in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and ours. What Paul just did in that introduction, he's writing to the church at Corinth, but he included all of the believers, didn't he? This letter is applicable to Champion Fellowship in Burnham, Texas today because it's to all believers. It wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. So notice there in verse 3 that the Father's will is recognized there in the verse. So he's recognizing, he's referencing God the Father, but the, the will of God is recognized only in Christ. So if you have uh, something going on and you're trying to make sense of something and it is a, you're, you're fighting something and you're not a believer... It, you can't figure it out because it's, it's spiritual in nature. You're trying to handle a spiritual issue from the flesh, and it won't work. If you don't know Christ and the Holy Spirit's not leading you, you can't figure that out. So Paul is writing here that what we do as believers, has to, we first have to be believers, and then what we do, we pray about it, and it's spiritually discerned. So after that, the Father's will is recognized and lived out in the community. So you, you are saved, you would be baptized, take the Lord's Supper, you're involved with other people, you get to know folks so that you're carrying each other's burdens, Galatians 6.1, and uh, you're, you're living your life out and you're growing in Christ. But let's say that for whatever reason, something doesn't go your way. You need to realize that you're going to get let down in church. It's going to happen, Okay. It's going to happen, okay? I don't know that anybody can ever escape that. That's unfortunate because we're all human. But when you get let down or something happens or maybe you get hurt, we, you, what we typically tend to do is we typically tend to revolt and leave. That's our nature. We're not going to fight. We're going to flight. We're going to leave. But if you notice in the New Testament that, that God always speaks of His followers and Christ as sheep. Sheep are defenseless, sheep are not intelligent, and, and sheep, the only protection that sheep have is in a herd when the wolf is surrounding them. That is the only limited protection that they've got. So what happens if there is a, a sheep that is hurt or whatever and it leaves the flock? Which one is the wolf going to go after? The one that is hurting. So when you're hurt... And, and it's not working for whatever reason. Let's try to find a way to make it work in the body. But when you go out here and you're disconnected and you're doing it on your own, the wolf is going to come after you. He's going to eat your lunch. Okay? 
And yes, it hurts. You may be hurt, and it may hurt to show up here, but the way God has so wired the church, he doesn't want you out there by yourself because you will get devoured, you'll get eaten. And so this is what Paul is, is speaking about here, uh, there that we would, be, we would be together. doesn't mean that you're best buddies with everybody in the church, okay? But here's the deal. If they are your brother and sister in Christ and they're a part of the same fellowship, you need to be willing to come to their aid if they need it. That's how we care for one another. Okay, then we go to verses 4 through 9. If you would follow that with me. And so now he's expressing some thanks. It's important that we see that. Because remember, he is straightening some stuff out. He's trying to, he's, he's clearing things up, but he still thanks them. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in Him. Notice that everything, not lacking anything, but in everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. I'm going to stop there for a second. Remember the culture. They love to hear themselves talk. They love to hear themselves speak in the public square and all these other things. And look what Paul's doing. He's addressing a cultural issue already in verse 2. Four, okay, or five. So in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. In other words, the people could see it, so that you were not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who were also, uh, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul then goes on to offer a thanksgiving in this letter. Not for them and not for what they've done. He is thanking God for them. The letter is addressing issues. But immediately in addressing these issues, who is Paul Bringing into the conversation. He's bringing God into the conversation. And that is so important that no matter what it is, we bring God into the conversation because their lives were not commendable. That He wasn't going around bragging about them uh, and a whole lot, but he still thanked God. So we get to verse 5, and that everything that they needed, they were enriched in speech and all knowledge. Again, so that they could speak effectively in the culture and that they had spiritual understanding that came from God to live their lives out in a godless culture just like we do today. Because if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, there's no way we could live as believers out in the culture. And so they're enriched. That doesn't mean that you have to have the biggest bank account in Texas. It doesn't mean that. That you, God will provide you what you need. He's going to enrich you. He will give you the ability to share Christ in the culture. And that if somebody is trying to debate you and all that, you, you, Scripture says don't answer a fool, okay, according to his folly. Okay, so you can effectively communicate Christ in the culture, in any culture that you are, and that you have knowledge that only comes from God. As we're going to see later, it is, it is inherent that we have the knowledge that comes from God or we can't figure out what God's trying to communicate to us. So right from the get-go, he's telling this church that has all these rampant problems, look at all that you have available to you that you may not be aware of. And so moving on to verse 7 there, 
they received those gifts that were necessary for the church to be healthy and to grow. And where do you think the gifts are in the church? I'm looking at them. They're all in the body right here. They're all out here. Every one of you have something constructive to add. Don't you ever talk yourself out of it. Don't ever look in the mirror and say, you know, I messed that up today. There's no way that I can go in and serve anybody. I'm such a hypocrite. That's actually not true. You're a hypocrite when you don't come to church. That's a, that's a later sermon. That, that is actually what that means. You are this, and you're not living like that. You go out there and you sin. Guess what? Everybody sinned out there. Come on in here. Let's confess it to God, and let's celebrate Jesus, okay? It's when you stay away is what you're not supposed to do. And so uh, God provides all the gifts that Champion Fellowship needs. They're right out here. So whatever God wants to do in this church, the gifts are right out here in order to do that, to grow. And now, the gifts, and some of them, and we're going to cover more of those later, in the later chapter, some of those gifts are going to stick around until Jesus returns, okay? I'm not going to get into which ones we get into that later. I know you're itching to get to those, but we will. But some of those gifts are going to stick around until Christ returns. Well, what, what are the ones that we've talked about so far, okay? Well, we can speak and we can have knowledge. Well, both of those are gifts of the Holy Spirit. I can... Do you know that when you, I'm probably going to go too long. Do you know that when you get saved, you're a theologian? I've said this before in the pulpit. You know how I know that? Because you know God, you know something about God, and you can talk about God. <laughs> you're a theologian. And so you can go out and humbly share Christ in this world when you get saved. That's what we're called to do. So God's going to grant you, it will grow, knowledge and speech in order how to communicate Him. And we're kept by the Holy Spirit until his return, and the culture cannot remove or talk us out of our salvation. They cannot do it. And then in verse 9, he's got you. Does, do you sometimes feel like you're slipping, like you're not going to make it? Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it today. Notice that you're, you're, you're speaking of your own abilities when you ask it that way. Because you're certainly not going to question God. God, I don't know that you can, you, can, you can bring it together today. You're questioning yourself, and that's the wrong question. Because you don't belong to yourself, you belong to Him. And you know that He's not going to let you down. Jesus prayed that no one can take you out of the Father's hand. There's not a devil in hell that can take you out. There's not a friend that can take you out. And you can't take you out of His hand. No matter how much you may scratch, scratch and claw and go in the backyard and spit and cuss and all that other stuff, you cannot get out of His hands. You're safe. And if you're safe there, it is going to be okay. Uh, that last part wasn't in the text, by the way, the spitting and cussing. But I, just <laughs> but I think you know what I mean. We have bad days, okay? We all do. And you're going to be safe. So then we move a little bit further into the book in verses 10 through 17. Follow along with me if, we, if you will. He says, now I exhort you, brethren, again he's speaking to believers, by the name of our Lord Jesus. Notice he keeps bringing the Lord back into his conversation. I keep emphasizing that because one of the questions that you're going to have in your study group is do you bring the Lord into your conversations with other people? That you all agree and there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. 
Now, I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now, I did not baptize. Now, I did baptize also the household of Stephanaeus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any of you. Notice that he says, Paul's not keeping a little list of all his people, his little nuggets that he baptized. That's not what he's doing. And then, for Christ did not send me to baptize. In other words, that wasn't his ministry. John the Baptist would teach, the, and he was John the Baptizer, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would be made void. So we don't argue about who baptized us, okay? Uh, for instance, I'm baptizing a, uh, uh, someone at 9 o'clock, and, uh, and then perhaps the next month, there's, Neil's going to baptize some people. I may have the relationship with the person. Uh, I may know this person and all that, but if they're in student ministry, I want Neil to baptize them, unless they specifically say, Alan, no, you have to do it, because I want Neil to have the relationship with them, because it's... It's, I don't want to make more out of it than it is. It is a pleasure. I love doing that. But I want them, it's more important that they remember it so that when they face trouble down the road, hey, I was baptized on this date, and nobody can take that away from me. So we don't, uh, we don't have all these divisions. We need to have the unity of the Christian message. And so verse 11, quarrels in church? Who ever heard of such a thing? But really we shouldn't. Because divisions don't reflect the Trinity. Okay? They do not reflect the Trinity. There is complete unity and harmony in the Trinity. And so we should not be having all these arguments about things. Can we have discussions on maybe things that need to be done better? We expect to do that. Or maybe we don't need to do this anymore. We may need to do that. Now, those, those are good. But do we, do we scratch and claw about it? No. We, that's, not, that's not the way to do things. And then uh, verses 12 through 17, if you'll notice, um, we're, we're talking about um, um, all of this. It, I got ahead of myself. It doesn't matter who baptized you because that person, when they baptize you, they don't become your mentor and then you their mentee. And we set that, that relationship up because these divisions are worded in such a way that I, I have, I am... I'm not possessed in the sense of spiritual warfare, but in other words, if, if Paul were to baptize me, he is the one that possesses me. That I belong to him is the way it's written. And what Paul is saying, no, that is not there. We follow Christ. We don't follow Paul. We don't follow uh, anybody else. We follow Christ, and we work alongside and with and through the leadership that God has established, okay? But that is, our focus is on Christ. If your focus is ever on me on Sunday morning, I will let you down, okay? I'm a fallen creature. It, we, we, we follow Christ and we work with and through those that God has brought into our midst. And so the problem that Paul is speaking into is in that culture, the pupil would have too much loyalty to the teacher. They would follow them too closely, or if you had a church that met in a home, what Paul is saying, don't go walking around and say that uh, Bill Rigsby is my pastor and y'all ain't got it going on. 
That's what was going on in the culture. People were trying to one-up each other. And Paul is saying, no, don't, don't, no. Because whoever it is that's over the church house is supposed to be preaching the same word of God. So why do you have all these divisions? Paul's saying, knock that stuff out, okay? So he speaks against that. And then he's saying, surrender to Christ. And so Paul is saying, I'm sorry, that he has surrendered to Christ and all that he's saying and all that he's doing because he gives Christ the glory. Because when um, there was a young man that had a conversation with me today and there's a guy that's been preaching, he goes, oh man, I preached a good one there. I don't like that because you're giving yourself the credit and Scripture's clear that it's the Holy Spirit that, that did all the work and you can't take credit for it. The only thing that you can say is that I was obedient to do my homework. That's the only credit I can take in any message because it's the Lord that does the work. Because the Lord ain't moving in here. I can have the best sermon in the world, but it isn't sinking in to the people. It's the Holy Spirit or nothing. So it's important that we, that we know that. And then we come to uh, the latter part here of, uh, of 1 Corinthians and the last part, and I want to read that. And I do want to emphasize that when I get into chapter 2 next week, I'm not going to have that front end stuff of the introduction. I will be going a little slower, uh, but I apologize. I just needed to get that out uh, so we could understand the book. So we look at uh, 18 through 31, and there's a misunderstanding concerning the message of the cross. Do you think we deal with that today? Oh, yeah, we sure do. Now, what is the cross? Why is that there? Doesn't that seem kind of cruel? Why would God do all that? That's crazy. Who, who came up with that dumb idea? That's what the culture is saying. They were dealing with it then too. Look there in verse 18 if you would. It says, For the word of the cross, that would be the message of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. It means the lost. But to us who are being saved, that means you either are saved or you're in process of sanctification. It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise... In the cleverness of the clever, I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? See Paul addressing the culture. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. Notice that right there. You cannot know God on your own. God was well pleased though, I mean through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, and Greeks or Gentiles search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, in other words, saved, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So in other words, what appears foolish and weak is so much higher than anything we could think of. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, but not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things, which means the, the very bottom of bottom rung of the ladder, if you will, the base things of the world and and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. 
but by His doing you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and the righteousness and the sanctification and redemption. So that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, the message of the cross, the message of the gospel is foolishness. Before I got saved and I tried to read the Bible, it made absolutely no sense. I could not understand it. I could not discern it, though I wanted to. It was only after I got saved in December of 94 that I began to read it in 95. I go, I, it's, it's amazing how much sense this makes. I, I get it. Why did I not get it before I didn't understand that? And I, slowly, I, I soon found out why. So I didn't understand it. It was foolishness. But when I surrendered to Christ, I asked God, how could he make so much sense? The only difference is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'd, I'd accepted Christ. So the wisdom of the cross cannot be achieved by the wisest among us. It makes no sense. Think about this. Creator God, uh, there's, there's people that his creation has rebelled against him. So he sends his one and only darling son to suffer the atrocities of the cross so that we could have a relationship with creator. That makes no sense. Why would a God even do that? That's the question that the world asks. So it's foolish to them. And then... God chooses the things that are weak, imparts them with the ability to speak concerning the truths of the Word of God and give them the wisdom to understand the Word of God. And so God chooses that and He shames the world that He imparts that knowledge and wisdom upon those that the world may despise. And then, and so people seek for things as validation. But God validates through the cross. He validates it through the cross. The cross that Jesus went to and had him on it. Then it was an empty cross. The grave had a body. Then the grave had no body. And then that body went to rule at the right hand of the Father. The world can't understand that. But if you understand the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, if you understand all the lambs that were slain on Jewish altars and all the Day of Atonement and all this other stuff that's in the Old Testament... If you grab a hold of that, then you can understand that Jesus fulfilled it perfectly because he loves us. The world doesn't understand that. What the world wants to do is criticize all the, the, the sacrifices to some God. They want to criticize all that stuff, okay? And then, in their criticism, I, I don't know, I hadn't read this, but I was told this today by a staff member, that there is on the rise that, that uh, I guess there's a TV show now, where we're training kids to be psychics, okay? So we're teaching that. So what we're doing today, ladies and gentlemen, if you remember when I went through Jonah, what we're doing today with our kids is we're putting them in the hands of Molech and watching them cook. We're killing them when we introduce them to that mess. That is what we're doing, and we think we're so wise, and we, ele- we celebrate our wisdom on Facebook because my kid's doing all that, and we're just putting the kids in the hands of Molech. It's just cleaned up and so that's the foolishness versus wisdom i'm so glad that though i don't get it right all the time i can call on god and then he calls the lowly not the self-inflated i have talked to people and they wouldn't let go of pride and they they couldn't get there they won't let go of pride um and then he elevates the the elevates what the world considers foolish and does so for his glory And you can't get to him on your own terms because if you did, then you're creating God on your terms and you're creating God in your image 
and then you're bowing down to what you create. That, that doesn't work. No, we bow down to what created us. And then that's the world's attitude. So, in, uh, in closing, I have some reflections that we need to go over. We need to eliminate divisions in the local church, as that does not reflect the Trinity. Um, I'll just go ahead and put this out there. Um, in the previous church that I was in, I'm past the four-year mark now so I can say these things. Somebody wanted to, when I got there, they said, oh, we need to have a church school, Pastor. We just need to have our own church school. I said, okay, but I, that can't take away from the, the mission of the church. So lo and behold, there was another school in the area, and they were growing, and they wanted to lease space in our church. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, there would be the voice of children singing Jesus all day long in a church that otherwise would be dark. Nothing going on. No activity. No children running around singing Jesus. And so we tried to do that. And people left the church because we had a school in the church that we did not start. But God started it elsewhere and people left. And so I asked those, I go, would you be okay if we started? And the answer was yes. Folks, that can't be. Who cares who gets the credit? God gets the glory. We're teaching children in the community to learn about Jesus Christ. And we got a mad on because... I don't get the credit for it, and that causes so many problems. That's divisions in the church that we don't need to worry about. What about a kid throwing up on the carpet? Who cares? Water fountains, they can be replaced. Air conditioners, they can be replaced. You cannot replace opportunity to share Christ with a kid. And we're arguing about that. Lord, help us. And then the thinking, all of our thinking must be rooted in the cross. And God's wisdom is to choose the foolishness of the world. Entrusted in your self-efforts leads to pride and gives opportunity to boast, which is not good. Entrust in Christ. Give Him the glory. Tell others about Him. It's not about you. If you tell somebody about Christ and you're talking about what you were doing, give God the glory. He says, you know, as great as this is, I was not seeking that. The Lord would not let me choose otherwise. And I was terrified and I was scared and I stepped out on faith because I knew he wasn't going to let go of me. And all I did was do what he told me to do and he gets all the glory. You're, you're saying what you did, but in every one of those, it gives God the glory. Okay? So it's so important that we, that we understand that. So here's what we're going to do in just a moment. We've got until 8 or a few minutes after. We're going to break up it in some groups, and I'm going to start in just a minute. The questions are so worded that we can talk about how we walk these things out. Next week, we're going to do this a little sooner, okay? I know it's going to be a little awkward. We're figuring this out. So please, in the awkwardness of this right now, please don't let that be a hindrance to you coming back. I want to see you back, and I want to see you bring a friend next week. Um, so uh, we can talk about these things. As we're going through this, if you have a question that's not addressed there and somebody doesn't know it, please write it down. And so what I'll do is, is I'll collect all of those. If there's a question, I will cover it next week. But I would prefer to do it that way. So if I answer a question over here and it takes five minutes, I'm walking around to answer the same question over here. I want to give everybody the benefit of how we're thinking and what we're asking um, as, a, as a body. 
So uh, what I've done is uh, some of our, our leaders and our deacons are, are available to help lead, a, help lead a group. So, Danny, you're in the back. Uh, Danny, uh, what I'm going to do, instead of breaking the chairs apart, Danny, would you go in the back corner over there? Okay, you're not in trouble. <laughs> Robert Buckman, where are you? You're over here. Robert, would you go in the middle over there against that wall? And then Brian, you're for Lauren Breeze. Would you go in that front corner there? Thank you. Okay, and uh, Jim, you are here today, aren't you, Jim? How fast did you drive to get back to Brenham, sir? Go ahead and just confess it. Now, Jim was out of town. He wasn't going to be here, but he came back, so I'm so thankful. Okay, Jim, would you go ahead and head to the back corner back there? Um, and uh, and then uh, Rob Moshak, would you be right there next to uh, Robert? And then Nathan, would you go? Nathan Steen, are you here, sir? Okay, would you go into the front corner over there? Okay, so, and then, uh, and then uh, Wendy, okay, Wendy is, uh, would you come here in the middle, okay? Uh, what we have is we have these deacons and some of their wives are here, and we're going to break up into these groups, and then uh, if, uh, if one of the ladies are here, if you need to go to the group with a lady, you're more than welcome to do that. Wendy Bethany, our women's ministry director, will be here. But if you know that one of these gentlemen are your deacon, would you please begin moving over there now? If you don't know who your deacon is, we need to work on that. And just go to a group that we can begin discussing this. And I'm going to walk around and give. Y'all y'all don't know who your deacon is. We're going to work on that, okay? Okay, we're going to, we're going to work on that. So I tell you what, we're going, to, we're going to have that figured out by next week, okay? Okay, so... Uh, Please don't fire me. Um, there's grace. <laughs> okay, so um, if you don't know who your deacon is, can I have y'all, as you feel led, move to some of these groups so that we can get in groups around uh, these, these six uh, men and their wives and then Wendy here. We can discuss this. These discussions are easy, and they're going to be edifying, I assure you. And I apologize. We're going to have this figured out next week, okay? Yeah, you can sit right here, and here you go. Here's your questions. 